1: Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech.
0: When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Mail checks, invoices, documents, and everything you need to keep your business running. Get rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS. And with the mobile app, you can take care of mailing on the go. Make the same no-brainer decisions as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. This kind of leads into one of the next songs you wanted to talk about, which is Live in a New Way, which is really kind of a pop song, I had shades of George Harrison rock kind of guitar on the intro.
1: This one was written around the same time as Happiness to Burn in 2015. And what was on my mind, same backdrop that I'm describing. You meet one person from Congo, you're going to meet 100 people from Congo because these are very social people. So I was meeting all these people, all these new people to me. One of the precursors to that moment that enabled that moment to happen was that there was a huge tragedy in my home state. And that was a young man named Freddie Gray died in the back of a police van in Baltimore. And it was the year of Ferguson and it was the year of other cities having major, mostly peaceful protests against police violence towards African-American citizens. And having come from an old Maryland family. One branch of my family is old Maryland family and they were plantation owners in the 1600s. They settled, uh, you know, so-called settled a thousand acres of the Eastern shore of Maryland and was a speaker of the house, the Maryland House of Representatives, bankers, you know, and slaveholders. They were European settlers who owned slaves and this went on for 250 years. And I spent time thinking about that and contemplating that and, and wondering about that. And I think for sure, like I went through the whole like white guilt thing and stuff like that, but I had really reached, I think this other thing for me, which was allowing that piece of my history to be there and recognizing that it's very, very powerful and that I owe a lot to the families of these people who were enslaved by my family, like, and just recognizing that and just understanding that a little better and seeing the the privilege in that. So, Freddie Gray had died. I started meeting people from Congo and other sub Saharan African countries. But I guess the death of Freddie Gray really hit hard because my family's from Maryland. And when I saw the protests in the news, it finally got personal for me. You know, I was like, I'm recognizing that there are people in the streets right now after all these centuries, still asking for the basic right of safety and due process. And I am possibly related to some of them. And so I don't know why it took that. And I regret that it took that. But at the same time, it did make an impact. And so the live in a new way for me, you know, was really about we got to shift. We got to make a shift and we have to do it in our own minds and we also obviously have to do it through policy and we have to do it through enforcement and so forth, but if we don't change the way we think and really give ourselves an opportunity to look inside our minds and see how we are thinking, because that is the basis of our life. If I allow myself to do this, change is possible. Change is possible. And really allowing ourselves to see some uncomfortable truths about what's in there. I think those are possibly the most uncomfortable truths in my life. That's a very privileged position to be in. If the most uncomfortable truths about my life is the stuff that's going on in my own head, then that's a position of privilege, but it's also a position of being able to make changes. And so, I started writing that song, and guess what? It was really depressing, and it was really like, ugh. And so I was like, okay, okay, change up, change up, change up. we got to get in the shallow end of the pool for this one. I would like this song to be one of those songs that people rock out to. It's party time. Let's get together. Let's have a great time. And then 25 years later, after this became your favorite song, you actually listen to the words and hear what it's saying and, and take it on that deeper level.
0: Especially hearing you talk about it, one of the things I ask on Backstory Song is I love lyrics that aren't words. And in this song, the chorus is, you know, not really a word. Like I particularly like Bruce Springsteen's screams. On his first four albums, he screams in all sorts of different ways. And I always ask the artist, you know, Did you actually like write that? Did you just sing that? Did it just come to you? You use the word, whoa, here, which usually means hold the horses. You know, it's like a term you use when you're riding. Whoa, Nelly, you know, that kind of thing. And you use that here. And maybe that word has more meaning, but it's like a whole line here.
1: Yeah, it's great. You're listening to these songs more carefully than I think I have. I really appreciate that. I know. I really appreciate that about you. I've been listening to your interviews and it's, you know, I appreciate that very much about you, Doug. So um, one of the jokes we have around the house is, you know, you got to have enough nothing in your weekend. You got to have enough nothing in your summer. It's kind of a joke, but it's true. And you got to have enough nothing in a song as well. I think that's actually a really common rookie mistake that we all make as we try and cram too much into a song. And especially when, you know, with songs, as with any kind of Artistic presentation, or even like advertising business presentation, you got about three seconds max. It's probably half that these days, but you've got about three seconds max to really get someone's attention. So if they're going to walk away with one thing stuck in their head, it's got to float on a bed of nothing a little bit. There's got to be some air around it. It's got to be, like you were saying, in happiness to burn the way it's arranged, you hit pause and there's the hook, you know, in live in a new way. You know, I think also, yeah, it's like, I didn't really think about it, but you're right. I mean, it's like, okay, whoa, you know, it's not a full stop. It's like, let's just bring the ambient anxiety down a little bit or the intensity or whatever's going on for people, the anger, the this, the that, and this song is really written to other white people. I'm just going to say that, like, I don't really talk about that very much. You know, <laughs> this is a white, this
0: is a message to white people. <laughs> it's absolutely
1: it's a it's a white person whitesplaining a little basic lesson about human dignity and respecting our neighbors. I never want to come across as like preaching because I'm not a preacher. I'm not that person. I try not to be that person. I really, really powerfully believe in. Our ability to change if we are met where we are by the right person, the right word, the right teacher, the right whatever, you know? And I think some people learn better if they get hit with a two by four, metaphorically speaking, (laughs) you know? Sometimes in reality, I suppose, but like, you know, metaphorically speaking, I think we all have to have some of that. But I think also that there are opportunities in the middle of shallow end of the pool, light vibe rocking out, chilling out, like to get a pretty deep message into our bones, like that potential exists. So if somebody comes to me with unsolicited advice, I can tell you that the response that they get from me is not very good. (laughs) I'm working on it, but I don't do unsolicited advice very well. I endeavor not to give it unless I, you know, see a serious problem with something, but it's like I do understand how sensitive people are, how sensitive white people like me are to the topic of racism and recognizing that like, this stuff is kind of hardwired into us. You know, that's what happens after centuries. Stuff gets hardwired in. And so how do we wiggle that tooth and get it out of there? How do we very skillfully help each other overcome stuff? that's entrenched you know i mean that's a huge question to put in a pop song but you know i'm a great believer in like you know you get more flies with honey you know than uh, than you do with anything else and so but also you know i don't go around hitting people over the head with my records and i think my favorite music to listen to and absorb these days is the lighter stuff i'm talking like Lighter in the sense of, for instance, Frankie, please by Rodney Crowell, which is one of my favorite songs ever. The topic is light and the writing is absolutely flawless. And it doesn't carry any kind of deeper message, you know, the way we're talking about.
0: You know, this is a much deeper song than I realized, you know? <laughs> it's just, I mean, this comes from a much deeper place than I expected. Yeah. You know, I was listening to, I was reading and studying it. You have a half chorus the first time you do the chorus, and then you do the full chorus after two more verses. And what I noticed was, which maybe you didn't notice when you're doing it, but you do the second "whoa" in an octave lower, and it grabs you. You know what I'm talking about in the song?
1: Yeah, I do. And um, with the things you're bringing up right now, I want to give a massive shout out to Shane Alexander, who produced this record. You know, as anybody who's had a world-class producer make their record knows, you know, the decisions that get made in the mixing room, as well as the decisions that get made for collecting, you know, vocal takes. Some of these songs only had a couple takes, but others, you know, we, we, we we were, I was in the vocal booth a few times to do some different things. So we had done a lot of pre-production arranging on things. And I'm trying to remember like where that particular decision came in, but it was definitely conscious. And I appreciate you noticing that because this was the work that Shane and I did together beforehand. This was uh, sensibility that he was bringing to the recording takes and then the decisions that got made in the mixing room Nothing's out of place you know this is this is one of the the, the things that has been uh, such a gift to me as an artist is to have a record with nothing out of place everything came under scrutiny you know
0: how do you know when a song is done
1: like in the writing of it or the producing of it or what's your the whole
0: process like so a lot of people have to play it in front of people and then see the audience's reaction you know and every song is different they're like children sometimes you write it in three minutes and it's done and that's perfect and that's doesn't need to change a thing and then sometimes you have to you know work on them over five and seven and ten years mm, and, mm. and how do you know when a song is done or when do you think you know a song is done
1: i'm gonna approach it i think From the writing aspect, you know, like I'm sitting here looking at these curtains that I made, you know, I've made all the curtains in my house. (laughs) I can sew a straight line. What can I say? But it's like, you know, you make the curtains and the hems out, you know, you just haven't done the bottom hem yet. It's like there's a similar moment in songwriting for me where I recognize that I've reached the natural conclusion of my part of the process. And now it's time to bring it to somebody who knows more. And I've been blessed with several mentors. So I guess and and having a really reliable mentor who won't mess around with you, won't waste your time too much, but also knows how to respond and give some feedback without shutting down the basic goodness of the song or the basic heart of the artist. Those people are worth their weight in gold. And I've had several of them. One uh has been Ed Disjardin, who I mentioned earlier up in Reedfield. He brought me through that process a lot and was that sounding board for me. That better, much better songwriter. I had tons to learn from him. I trusted him and he knew how to be like pointed but gentle with feedback. But what is that moment? What does that really mean? I think there's a certain type of just being stuck that comes for me when a song is just about ready to bring to that next part of the process, the arranging process, or the feedback process, or you know that developmental edit. And what I try to do when I'm writing, I try. Well, there's a couple of things I've learned to do. One is to keep my creative door open all the time and just allow the ideas to come any time of day or night. I'm not an obsessive sleepless kind of a worker. Some people work that way. Um, I try, I try and sleep every night. You sleep well. Uh, i, I well, sometimes. Um, lately, it's been up and down, so I try and keep that creative door open. This is a tough one. This is a tough one because, like, songs have their own personalities too. But there are some things about craft that I think I can I can address. So there's the woo woo aspect, and then there's the craft aspect, and you know, the craft being the. Basic arranging, the basic message, the filing away at lines that are not quite done, marking lines for replacement, these kinds of things, and and songs can get ninety percent done and still have quite a bit of like uh, masking tape on them, you know, for lack of a better way to put it, and so I like to leave a certain amount of of that, you know, it's like pulling, I'm a very visual person, as you can see, Um, it's like pulling the stickers off the window when you're done with the remodel, you know, that kind of thing. I like to leave some of that stuff there so that it can be more than I can come up with by myself. So like when I take it to the studio, we have a solid arrangement. We have, um, it's been through some kind of pre-production refining. If I'm going to come down to a, a feeling or a sense of like when a song is done. There's nothing in it that bothers me. And I know that sounds like a bargain basement kind of way of being done. You're no no, longer bothered. I'm no longer bothered by anything. Those could be single words. Those could be lines. Those could be arrangement related. Those could be...
0: How the audience reacts when you play it.
1: (laughs) How the audience reacts or, you know, even more so how I feel putting that out there in front of them. It's not a fully reliable thing because anybody who's like hammered away at any craft of any sort for a long time knows what it feels like to go too far with something. And this is also a rookie mistake that people have to kind of learn the hard way. Most of the time I think is, is when to stop. Many other artists have said it better than I over the course of centuries, you know, of like knowing when to back away. That's really what it is for me. And So these days I try and keep the creative door open and I try and keep a fairly light grip on things. So I keep a light grip on every word, every line, every creative decision that goes into making that song so that I don't create, you know, what people call darlings You know, they say, kill your darling. So I don't believe you have to kill every single darling in your song, right? I take issue a little bit with that whole phrase, but at the same time, it has a lot of, ton of merit.
0: Sometimes darlings are darling, you know, they're darling and it's okay to be darling. Yeah.
1: There's a time and a place to be darling. The song Happiness to Burn is kind of darling, you know, but it's because it's in a wheelhouse that's got some of that sort of shine to it, you know? So I think keeping a light hold on whatever I'm creating is essential for pursuing excellence because it allows me to get under the hood and tear out what's not working, you know, and toss it in the heap for the next song or put it in the trash or the burn pile or whatever, you know, it's like, and to be a little less attached, I think is really, really helpful.
2: Sick of being upsold at gyms?